We're going to read uh, 1 Samuel 19. 1 Samuel 19. <clears throat> but I want to I want to give a little bit of an introduction to what we're we're going to be doing this summer uh, in the next four sermons. Um, and so uh, it's a little bit complicated, but uh, just, so just bear with me, but just notice what we're going to talk about. So in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you have the story of the life of David, and you have a lot of the events that occurred there. Some of the Psalms tell us that they were written during particular events in the life of, the da- of David. And they shed a lot of light on what was going on inside David during that time. And so what I want us to do is to try to bring those things together. We read Psalm 59, and then we're going to read 1 Samuel 19. Psalm 59 was written when the events in Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 19 were happening. So does that make sense? Um, I actually am going to try and say it in Spanish um, to, to make it more complex for everybody. So just to, just to give you an introduction. So, porque es un poco complejo. Ese, lo que pasa es la vida de David. Uh, es en el primer libro de Samuel. Y entonces hay muchos eventos ahí de la vida de Samuel. Y eh, hay algunos salmos que uh, fueron escritos durante este, estos eventos, ¿ok? Y lo que vamos a hacer en este, este verano es de mirar a, a un pasaje, un evento en la vida de David y ver lo que estaba pensando durante este tiempo por este salmo. Ahora, yo voy a predicar en inglés, pero pensaba que si, si <ríe> tú podrí, ustedes podrían entender lo que estamos haciendo, sería mucho más fácil, ¿ok? So, en... Bienvenidas a todo, and bienvenido a Rodrigo. Tú no eres bienvenida. And anyways, glad to have you all here, and uh, some of our Dominican friends. And uh, thank you for coming tonight. Thank you. So 1 Samuel 19. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant, David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine, Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. 
But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre, like a little harp. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael led David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. When Saul sent the men to capture David, Michael said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But that when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed and at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michael, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Michael told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Nioth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is in Nioth at Ramah, so he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. If Saul... Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Nioth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Nioth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him. And he walked among them, prophesying until he came to Nioth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. That is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? Well, let's pray. O Lord, our strength, our refuge, our fortress, our deliverer, we come before you and we give you praise and thanks for all that you are. We give you all glory and honor and adoration for you are worthy of it. Well, Father, yet we come also knowing that we're not worthy of your love. We're not worthy of your faithfulness. We're not worthy of your care. We have sinned against you in many ways. But we praise you, O Lord, that as we come into your presence, we have an advocate who has sacrificed himself for us on, on the cross at Calvary and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven to be the one who intercedes for sinners such as ourselves. So we praise you for that, and we confess our need for this advocate. And we also confess our need for your spirit. Even as you give us your word, you also give us your spirit so that we might understand it and apply it to our lives. Oh Lord, we pray that you would teach us tonight, that you would lead us, that you would help us to see what we need to see in our hearts and lives, that we might turn unto you, all the more. Thank you, O Lord, for how you've led us and taught us in so many ways. We give you praise for your faithfulness and coming to us again and again with your glorious truth with, to lead us, to guide us, to show us and instruct sinners in the way. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 
It's interesting, uh, you know, so I've had a couple conversations this week about crazy thoughts. And uh, it's amazing the crazy thoughts that can come into our head about all kinds of stuff. The, the worst sorts of things. It's just shocking. You're just like, man, where in the world did that come from? Or just things that come on us and make us afraid or, or struggle or sad. And it's almost like there's an ocean or torrent, a storm inside us that you never know it's going to break forth. And sometimes those crazy thoughts are completely crazy. They're not in accord with reality at all. And we just need to say, look, that's just there. We need to move on. And we'll talk about what else we can do with this here in a minute. But sometimes those, those really intense thoughts have something to do with reality. And we're looking at a man tonight who is experiencing real threats that made him really scared. And that is uh, King David. Because in this passage, he literally has people who want to kill him. That's the very beginning of this verse. Saul wanted to kill David. You know, there's certainly, you've had to have these thoughts. Everything is against me. Everyone is against me. And sometimes that's, that comes into our head. But in this case, it was kind of true. He was really having a struggle that was not just something that his head was telling him, but people were coming to kill him. But in either case, what I think the Psalms do is that they tell us where do we go with those strong emotions, that storm, that torrent that comes within us when we face real or imagined threats. Where do we go with that? And the life of David shows us that, and the Psalms that especially the ones that he wrote during these events in his life, give us a model of how the godly man can work through really difficult times and really difficult emotions. And it shows us what we're supposed to be doing that can, in a way that can guide us. And so, you know, the godly person is not one who doesn't have problems. The godly man is not one who is not, never scared. The godly man is not one who doesn't have crazy thoughts. It's the question of what does he do with them. And that's what I want you to see this summer. Have a sense of what to do with the crazy thoughts, and the, the, some, whether real or not, the storm of emotions that is within us. And so let's consider, I'm going to walk us through this passage a little bit um, with three points. David chosen, David pursued, and David delivered. Now, we're considering David chosen because... God had chosen David to be king. So he had rejected Saul. God had said, Saul will be king. But then he said, Saul is not going to be king any longer. So he told Samuel to go and anoint another king. And Samuel went to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And Jesse brought out all his sons. And he said, one of them is going to be anointed king. And then he went to the end of the line, and God said, "There's nope, that's none of them. And so he said, do you have any other son? Yep, the youngest one. He's out there with the sheep, to, as a, working as a shepherd. And God said, that's the one. He's going to be the king. He's the man after my own heart. 
And God showed that, his choice, through David's success. God showed his choice through David's success. Because David went and he, he served the King Saul. He served King Saul. And then when no one else wanted to fight the great giant champion of the Philistines, David went and fought him and then killed him. And he gradually became a leader in the army and he defended the people and he did all kinds of good things. But eventually, Saul had had enough and he was afraid. And he had already tried to secretly kill David and by uh, sending him on a very difficult task in order to win his daughter's hand to become a son of the king. But it didn't work. David had success in that too. And so Saul told his son, Saul made a, a decision, and that decision was to oppose God's choice. His decision was to oppose God's choice. And what it says is that Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. He gave the command that they were to end his life. But what, what, um, what, what happened is that God had put an ally in the house of Saul, an ally for David, and his name was Jonathan, his firstborn son. And Jonathan interceded for David. That is, he talked to Saul on David's behalf. And listen to what he says in verses 2 and 3. So Saul says, go kill David. And Jonathan says, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. So be on your guard tomorrow morning and go into hiding and then I'll go talk to him. And then what Jonathan tells him in verse 4 is that let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistines. And the Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? And so Jonathan gives the reason why he shouldn't. He said he's done nothing wrong. He's done a lot of good things. And, and so you should let him live. Well, Saul listened to Jonathan. So he actually said, okay, I won't kill him. And then he actually took an oath. In essence, he said, let me be killed if I try to kill David. Let God's judgment be upon him. He swore an oath and that he would not kill David. And so he submitted, in essence, to God's choice and to the righteous and just commands of God. And there was reconciliation between Saul and David and then Saul and David, David went out with Saul again, and then he was winning victories, and he was helping Saul. And then something happened. But before I talk about that, one of the things that just always remember from the life of Saul is to watch out for envy. Watch out for envy. What do you do when you see others succeed in areas where you want to succeed? What do you see when others are doing well? It's one of the things that can really take hold of the human heart, that we hate the good that others experience in places where we want to do good. 
and we downplay it and we fight against it. And you know that the people of Jesus' day killed Jesus, it says. They handed him over because of envy. Because Jesus was successful, the people were listening to him, and they, were, and they killed him because of envy. So we always got to watch out. Where's our heart? Can we rejoice in the good that others do, even when it's better than us, even when we would like to be that person, even when we would like to see that success? We've got to watch out for envy. But now let's move to the second point, which is David pursued. It tells us something rather interesting. It says that an evil spirit came from the Lord to, to uh, turn Saul's mind, so to speak. Now, when it says that an evil spirit came from the Lord, we shouldn't think that the Lord himself was doing evil. It just means that the Lord permitted an evil spirit to go to Saul. And what, that, what we should recognize is if we don't, we're not in Christ, if we are not connected to God, then we have no defense against evil spirits and we are we are helpless in their face they will dominate us and we need to be aware of that so we need to flee to the lord he's our refuge that's what a mighty fortress is our god by martin luther it's it's talking about he's our fortress against the devil because the lord can defeat him but without the lord then we are we are headed towards a downward spiral we open ourselves up to all kinds of problems. And so Saul, being turned in his heart, having some, some of his own crazy thoughts, took up his spear, and he tried to kill David with the spear. He threw that, and yet David escaped. And so what did, what did Saul do? He sent men to watch David's house to kill him. So when David, David was there sleeping in the comfort of his home, he was resting, and, they, and Saul sent men to kill him. These were literally men who were going to take his life. I wonder, have you ever had an experience like that? Anybody ever had an experience where like, literally a group of people wanted to kill you? No? Okay. So, you know, I had one experience when I was in Albania someone pulled out a knife and put it right here, right in front of me. That was a very scary experience. So that's the closest I've gotten. I don't, think he, I don't know how serious he was or not, but thanks be to God, uh, he didn't do anything. But people experience that. You know, we talked on Sunday about Frederick Douglass, the man who was a slave who fled to the north. And he knew that people weren't necessarily going to kill him, but they were going to capture him and take him back. Um, I was thinking also about um, Ukraine. You know, one of the things when the war started, uh, they literally sent people to hunt down President Zelensky to kill him. And so, you know, these are the things that come, it's one of the scariest things that can happen to us. And so, I want you to think about, so here, here basically when we look at this passage, we see that, that Michael, who's David's wife, the, the daughter of Saul, you know, tells him what's going on and she helps him escape and so on. We just see David running. We just see that David finds out they're killing him, and he just says, okay, I'm going to run. But my question is, what was going on in David's heart? What was going on in his mind? What did he do when, when he experienced these things? What was his inner life like? 
Now, obviously, we don't know, in, in when we read the Bible stories, we don't always know what the people were thinking. But, and sometimes we can actually kind of get a misconception and think that these are the people that didn't struggle. You know, they just said, the Lord said to do it, and they went and did it, and they fought against people, and they weren't scared, and they were people of faith, and that was it. But one of the interesting things is that this passage reveals something totally different. And you can see that in more of, the, of Psalms, is that even though David did trust in the Lord, it was not easy. And so what did he do when he was scared? What did he do when he was scared? Well, Psalm 59 tells us what David did. And the thing that he did is to, he, he sang to the Lord, he sings to the Lord a prayer. So in, in a lot of, for us, we often think of prayer and singing to the Lord as two totally different things. But for, for, in, a lot of, uh, in a lot of the tradition of, of religions throughout the world, Prayer and singing often go together, and people will chant song, chant prayers, or they, if they were going to pray, they would sing it. And so David is praying. He's praying to the Lord, but it's a, in the form of a song. And so let's uh, just look at that for a minute. Psalm 59. Before we go back to Psalm 19. Just one second. I've got a new Bible, and I'm still breaking it in. <laughs> All right. So, so here's what David prays. Listen to this. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. So he's like, there's people out to get me. You can see it touches his heart. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. So you can see, this is no cold affair for him. He's like, these people are out to kill me. Lord, please help me. He sings to the Lord a prayer. And that's what I want you to think about for yourself is when you find yourself afraid, when you find yourself struggling, when things don't go as you want them to go. When you feel frustrated, where do you go? Where do you go? Well, the Bible teaches us that there, we don't have to let our emotions just stay here. We lift them up to the Lord, and we process them before the Lord. You know, there's so many things that we struggle with, and that can often lead us in a downward path, but that's why we need to lift them up to the Lord. Now look at what he does. Secondly, and he does this, he sets the situation before the Lord. Now, obviously, God knows everything, right? But what he wants us to do is to take the situation we're experiencing, and he wants us to tell him about it. He wants us to set it before him. He wants us to speak of it. And so look at it, verse 3. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me. For no offense or sin of mine, Lord. And then in verses 6 through 8. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords. And they think, who can hear us? But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. Go on ahead there. 
The point is that when we see a situation where we are struggling, a problem, we need to speak about that to the Lord. He says, look, Lord. Now, of course, the Lord is looking, right? But we need to say, Lord, this is what I want to bring before you. And so as often as we, as we struggle, we need to bring it before the Lord. So what are the kinds of things that you struggle with? If we say, let's say you're struggling with a friend. Let's say that you're um, living in an apartment complex with all kinds of people thrown together and they're a little crazy, right? <laughs> so yes, I've heard about some of these things from, from, the, from the other. So what do you do? Well, it's easy just to let it go like this. But instead we say, Lord, look at this situation. This is, things seem to be a mess here. We're not getting along. They're not treating us right. Lord, look at this. I want to bring it to your attention. And that's what we do. Maybe we're, we are afraid of, or we have problems with relationships with our parents or our children or boyfriend or husband. Bring it before the Lord. Lord, you see that my child is estranged from me. And you know I want to have him back. Look at this, O oh Lord. Or you're concerned about political issues. I'm sure we're all concerned about some. And it's easy just to let that stuff stay down here, right? But we want to say, Lord, look at what is happening. Look at what is happening. Can't you do something about this? Maybe it's people at work. Maybe it's issues with our own, with money or having enough resources. Whatever it is, we present the situation before the Lord. That's what David did. But here's the third thing I want you to see about what David did. What happens when we bring it before the Lord is that we then, we, we, we don't just see the situation. We don't just see the problem. We don't just see the, the, the difficulty. We see God in, in relationship to that difficulty. When we don't let it just stay down here and we lift it up to the Lord, then we're, we have a big view. We're seeing God and the situation. And when we're struggling with people, right, as David was, it's good to see God above that, knowing those people working, doing what is right, also having compassion, having a plan. Look at how David processed As soon as he, he talks about these people in verse 7, he says, you know, that see what they spew from their mouths. They're like dogs coming to attack us. But then in verse 8, he says, but you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all the nations. So as long as he's just looking at the howling dogs, you know, it's really scary. But then it's like he's, he's saying, God, look at the howling dogs. And all of a sudden he's seeing God and seeing the howling dogs. And he says, but the Lord laughs at all that. Because it changes our perspective when we go before the Lord with these situations. And so that's what happens. When we set it before the Lord, it gives us a whole different view of it. But then also we can ask what David asked. He seeks deliverance and justice. He wants God to do something about it. He doesn't just say see it. He doesn't just change his perspective. But then it shapes what he asked for. Look at verse 11. He actually says, or verse, uh, verse 10, God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. I'll have victory. 
But do not kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might, uproot them and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter. Consume them in your wrath, consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Why not? Maybe we should. We see people opposing God, his plan, what is right and just. God, act. Do something about it. We want to see justice in the earth. When we see people who are being killed or hurt, who are innocent, one of the things we need to do is call for the Lord to do something about it. That's what we've been praying, you know, uh, with, in relationship to Ukraine. Like, I mean, some wars, it's hard to sort things out. This is not one of those. And, uh, you, know, you know, there's always little things people bring up, but the bottom line is this is a powerful nation that's coming in and just seeking to subjugate another people to, to its will and doing it with violence and aggression in a horrible way and totally out of accord with what God would want. And we say, God, will you act here? Deliver. Do justice. And we look to the Lord. That's what David did. Now, let's move then to the third point. David delivered. I want you to see that this prayer that David prayed leads him to a resolution. It leads him to a resolution. And that resolution is found in verses 9 and 10 and verse 17. It's the same phrase. It's found there. It's what we did when we did the responsive reading. That was our response, was this resolution. It says, you are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. And look at verse 17. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. So that's when he, when he went to the Lord in prayer, he came to a firm sense that he could rely on God, that God was his fortress, and that he would sing to him because he had confidence in the Lord. But I want you to notice something really, really, really important here. That resolution comes out of a struggle. That resolution comes out of a struggle. It didn't, it's not the first thing. It's something that in processing this before the Lord, he came to this resolution. You know, and sometimes as Christians, we often, we know these resolutions. And when people are struggling, we want to bring them immediately to that resolution. So they say, hey, you know, uh, my son just, di- your son just died. We know all things work together for good for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen? You know, I mean, usually it's not that crass, right? <laughs> but, I mean, but we can kind of do that. And what we need to say is, no, let's enter in together and process that before the Lord so that that person can come to their own specific resolution, take hold of some truth of God's word that will help them learn to say that. It's what's these resolutions that we come to are bought through a struggle. And you know, um, again, Remembering, and that's what we see throughout the Psalms. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But now, David then also saw the Lord 
that the Lord was his refuge and deliverer. So I want you to see that, that um, in 1 Samuel 19, it's really interesting. David didn't really do anything other than run here, right? He just ran, and God acted. And that's so often what it is, is that the Lord is our refuge and, and deliverer. We need to remember he's working in ways we don't even know. And so what happens is, first of all, God had given him his wife, Michael, who, had, who was figured out what was going on and was able to help him escape. And, but then we also see that something very interesting happened. I mean, you already saw it at the end of the passage. So what happened is, uh, eventually, David keeps running from place to place. And some people say, David is over in, in Naioth, at Ramah. So people told him. And so, you know, imagine that. He's trying to hide. People say, there he is. You can get him. You know, they're, they're working against David. So maybe betraying him. Who knows? And so what Saul does is he sends 50 men to go and capture him. And David, though, is, is devoted to the word of God. And that's evidenced by the fact that he's with Samuel, who is the prophet from which this book derives its name. And Samuel, and Samuel is there, and when the men arrive with Samuel and the prophets, where David is, then God does something extraordinary. The Spirit just takes over them, and they join the prophets. And they just start prophesying along with the other prophets. They just start, now they're, instead of opposing God and his word, they're declaring God and his word. And so Saul did not get the message, so he sends another 50 men. And then they join the prophets, and they start prophesying. And he sends another 50 men. He's a slow learner. And, and, and they start prophesying, right? So finally he says, well, you know, I'll go myself, and I'll take care of this. And, and what happens? He ends up prophesying the whole day, naked, on the ground, prophesying. And what we see from that is that, that God's spirit and word are going to go forward, whatever anybody thinks. And the Lord's purposes are going to be accomplished. And the Lord is working. The Lord is doing things. When we see people we're concerned about, when we see people that seem scary and powerful and difficult, God is doing things there. And he, his word will go forward. They will not have the last word. Not at all. Not at all. And so, Saul is evidence of that. And, it's, and actually, everybody was surprised that he was, prophet, that he was prophesying. So they had this expression. So it became like a common saying. Is Saul also among the prophets? It's like the Tennessee Vols are in the, the football championship. Is Saul also among the prophets? It's like everybody's saying this because it was shocking. And that's what it is. The Lord will do things that we totally don't expect. We can trust him. And so let me just conclude here by just saying, you know, what are you, what are you struggling with today? You know, what's got your heart? Well, the Psalms teach us that whatever it is to bring it to the Lord, to process it before him, and that when we, um, whenever we struggle, we have a refuge. We have a refuge. We have someone on whom we can rely. When we're struggling, 
when we're in danger, when we don't have the things we, we need, when we have people opposing us, we have a place we can go. We have a refuge that is perfect and strong, and we can flee to Christ and his protection, and we know that he will deliver us and help us. Amen.